I was thrilled for the latest Night Rule to get a chance to speak with Nomiki Konst. Nomiki is a brilliant commentator and strategic mind that you may know from the Majority Report or the Nomiki Show. Um, I've been following her work for a long time, and I've always found her insights to be quite singular. So it was a special privilege to get to chance get a chance to talk to her for the hour. We dived into a lot of questions uh, facing people on this at this very specific day, and uh, I think it was a very stimulating and fruitful discussion. So I hope you all enjoy it half as much as I did. Today's intro will be from Koshi Maharu. The name of this song is Scandal Night. And our outro today will be from YMO. The name of this song is Citizens of Science. So everyone get uh, nestled and uh, without any further ado, enjoy the show. Harvey, Harvey on has been on twice. He came on for, um, I believe it was episode three, and we mainly mm-hmm. talked about Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. <laughs> and then he came back on for, I believe it was episode seven for part two, where we we talked a That's little awesome. bit more. We talked about Luke Skywalker a little bit to start, and then talked a little bit about <laughs> FDR, Thomas Paine. Um, he's just like a fountain of knowledge. So I mean, he's, it's really. But easy. he's and he's so charismatic too. He's so lovely. Yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. We both love cabbage. We're we're brothers in that way too. So oh, I, you love cabbage. I love cabbage. All all cruciferous vegetables are are God's favorite children, in my view. Ultimately. Wait, this is not a thing people discuss. I'm I make a big big like especially during COVID, like big cabbage fan, big borscht fan, big big big. Like people don't love it, don't appreciate it. It's it's the jam. I get well, it. it. It literally contains molecules that will like keep you alive. Like there's the, like it has the fountain of youth molecule. They're called NADS or NADS plus or something. What? They only exist in like, I mean, you can get them injected. If you go to Panama to some clinic, you can get them injected straight into your heart. But um, you can, <laughs> but you do, you can get small amounts of them from, I think it's broccoli and all the cruciferous vegetables and right. like avocados and tomatoes and whatnot. So. Oh, those are all of my, it's like the nightshades. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll make up for all the, uh, the all my, uh, self-harming and self-destructive behavior i'm sure if i just have a little bit of avocado on my salad and some cabbage <laughs> um yeah because lately i've been all about making this dish it's a japanese dish called tonkatsu which is katsu is just like a fried I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and then it's that it comes with a really thinly sliced cabbage you can go to town on that i'm into um, it yeah so uh, now that we're done talking about the important topics, I will introduce you. So um, I'm extremely pleased to be joined for tonight's Night Rule by Nomiki Konst, who is uh, one of my favorite commentators out there on all on all types of 
matters, particularly um, political strategy and media and the kind of current political and social movements that are swirling about there. I think I think you're really well plugged in into the actual like reality on the ground, and you don't you don't suffer fools kindly, and uh, your criticisms are often trenchant and uh, singular in their insights. So we're we're extremely happy to have you. Thank you. That that I mean. As I'm sitting here at CIA headquarters, um, which also happens to be NATO headquarters and every, no, I'm sorry, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, that means a lot in this moment when, <laughs> when anybody has any sort of nuanced, like, maybe we're not nihilist. We have to actually figure out how to solve these problems in a real logistical, strategic, thoughtful way. Um, it means a lot, but also it means a lot on behalf of I don't even know who the CIA head is now at this point, but uh, I'll just go with the one that comes to mind, George Tenet. George Tenet says his love. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Fantastic. Um, well, I mean, I'm sure we could, I mean, if we if we wanted to, we could jump into a huge conversation about uh, infighting and people, uh, what do they call them? Circular firing squads and whatnot. Yeah. Maybe we can come, maybe we can circle back around to that at some point, but- um, It's okay if we don't have to. It's totally fine. <laughs> I just wanted to put that out at the top, that on behalf of, of, of CIA, who I strangely also criticize at least two times a week. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, give me, give me a break. Um, it's, uh, yeah, don't make me laugh, but uh, I, I, it's it actually, it makes me think of a conversation I was having earlier today on the last, for the, that was just released as the last episode, and I was talking to um, T from the Champagne Sharks podcast about um, the psychological concept called learned helplessness, and um, mm. I don't know if you heard about this, but they, they, they it's, the experiment was they they get some poor animals in a pen, and these always sound like horrible, like Dante-esque horrors, these, these experiments they do on these poor animals, but they would put, take some animals, put them in a little pen that they could electrify uh, and with a little spot where they would have enough space to, to or it was low enough for them to, them to jump out. And they'd electrify it and the animals would jump out and escape. And then they put them in a different pen mm -hmm. where they couldn't jump out. And they found that if they trained them long enough to know that they couldn't escape from the electrified bolt, if they put them back in the first pen where they could escape, they would just stand there. And the, the psychologist called this principle uh, learned helplessness. And I feel as though this, this applies to um, perhaps some of the political vitriol out there <laughs> in some ways. And and I think maybe perhaps as like a kicking off point mm. to turn things in a more positive direction um, so that people could perhaps unlearn some of their political learned helplessness. Um, we could talk about this particular political moment. I mean, we have a new uh, presidential administration coming in to the White House very soon. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of pressure can be uh, leveraged on them mm -hmm. or, or applied to them. And, uh, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on the prospects for um, that kind of pressure coming from, uh, from different groups on the Biden administration going forward. So there's a lot here, right? Um, I, think, I think all of us, if, if we're not personally conscious of this moment, um, maybe it just takes a second for us to recognize what this moment entails. And I know my interpretation is not going to be anything near what the actual moment is because there's just too much to this moment. This moment is a moment in which over 20 million people, and that's probably an underestimate, are going to be losing their homes because of, of the rental crisis. Rental, not the housing crisis, the rental crisis. Um, we have... Millions of people 
young people in the majority, but people across this country who are dealing with the crisis of student loans and whether or not they can pay off their student loans first and then feed themselves because, you know, it was already a crisis and now we're sitting in a moment where people have to choose between paying off their student loans because they can't go bankrupt because student loans do not uh, relate to bankruptcy and paying for their food, housing, clothing, et cetera. We, there are stories every single day coming out about how families are stealing food to pay for their children. They're going to Walmart and stealing baby formula and, and, and food because they have to feed their children and their families. Um, I don't think we as a country, we as, forget about just the elected officials, but, but even we as a country, even, even those of us who operate in this debatey space, <laughs> I say debatey like in a comic sense, but that's kind of what it's become, <laughs> right? I don't think we really understand the complexity of like what's actually happening. It's not just that hundreds of millions of Americans do not have healthcare or on Medicaid like myself. It's that before they even think of healthcare costs, which are extremely serious and have made so many people's lives worse because they don't have healthcare if they catch COVID or if they have to deal with COVID's the aftermath of COVID, or if their healthcare was tied to their employer, which they don't have anymore. There's just the basic crisis of housing and food. And that's, you know, Maslow, that's the, the hierarchy of needs. And so I think like, we don't know those numbers because they actually haven't even been disclosed yet. They haven't even been broadcast yet. And it's not just that the left doesn't get it, I think those who are dealing with it right this very second or may not have even gotten the demands yet, right? Like all of these things have not become operationalized yet. So if even the folks who know that the bills are coming are not seeing the bills, and even if the folks who are on our allies' side have not gotten the numbers, or even if the elected officials have not gotten the numbers yet, the country has not seen the numbers. We don't know, is it tens of millions? Is it 50 million? Is it 60, 70, 80? Is it 100 million people who are going to be homeless? We already know homeless yeah. shelters are full. What's, what's going to happen? And I think the crisis in the left right now is really having a sense of, of, of the urgency and how, how intense this is and what are our priorities in this moment. Yeah, I think the scale of the unknown, as of yet unknown scale of the kind of Dickensian yeah. horrors that might that might befall us um, will definitely. Um, I mean, it's so many things are having a light shot shown on them right now, and I think I think one thing that uh, I'm seeing the light shown on pretty brightly right now is is the failure of a lot of our political discourse. I mean, discourse, I and mean, you use the term debatey. Um, and I think it's kind of apt, but I would, I might, I might change it to like debate land. It's like it makes me think of this article someone was writing about how if you go to London now, and I've never, I haven't been to the UK at least not as an adult. Um, but back in the day, you know, you went to London, it was London. But apparently now, ever since um, the, they kind of revamped it, it's now this kind of very Disney, Disneyfied um, image of what Western, of what not, of what outsiders think London is, and the real London is basically just gone. And I feel like that's happening to so many elements of not only our physical space, but our cultural space as well. And, and we, it, in spite of the fact that people really um, eschew the kind of bullshit political 
debates that took place. So when you think of like old uh, shows like Crossfire or the McLaughlin group that would, no one would think were cool now, we still kind of are caught in a kind of new form of this, um, I, I don't, I, I mean, I almost want to say deracinated, although it's the wrong term. It's, it's like a defanged um, version of what, of what political discourse and, and debate should be. And it is detached to reality to the point where, you know, I think people hopefully at this point are, would be close to waking up and saying, look, you know what, these, these debates and discussions are not actually, you know, apropos of the world we're living in right now. Well, I think it's an important point because I mean, I, I, God, I hate to go into the crisis of this moment, which is the left divided um, over something that's not even on the table, which is a whole other thing. Let's just but, dance around it like Muhammad <laughs> Ali. <laughs> All right, butterfly. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, this is this is part of it, right? Like, like there are real fights that are happening with union leaders and organizers who are knocking on doors, who have hundreds of thousands, if not frankly, millions of members who have a seat at the table, who are negotiating locally and negotiating nationally, who are working hard, who are building coalitions. And much of this is very public. This isn't like it's happening behind closed doors. It's very public. But, you know, my, my, my concern is the energy is being sucked away um, by folks who have different interests. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Like, if 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 I or Sam Cedar or Emma or or Ben Dixon or Harvey K or Ben Burgess or anybody at Jacobin or yourself wanted to get like millions of followers, there's a real strategy for that. <laughs> like, it's a very clear strategy for anybody who lives in YouTube to do those things. Um, it's complicated and it's hard and no one's perfect. And, but the reality is, is that it takes coalition building and deep relationships and having conversations and understanding what's at, what, what the cost is and, and what the leverage is. And, and I say this because it's not just about Medicare for all. I mean, I, I'm, I think anybody who is actually looking at the legislative cycle and looking at the crises that most Americans are facing right now, like emergency crises, they're thinking, how do people stay in their homes? How do people stay in their homes? I mean, it's at this taping, it's, it's December 24th. In seven days, tens of millions of people might lose their homes. And we're talking about a four-year, I mean, even if it were to pass, it's a four-year uh, legislative cycle. And that's what we're talking about. Four days, six days, seven days, eight days before uh, the the... The the, the 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 crisis of housing is about to become Hooverville across this country. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I think what saddens me so much is that it's not so much that like the left is fighting. That always happens. It's that, it's that we're not focusing on like Medicare for all. I've been a part of the Medicare for all fight for seven years, right? with nurses, the National Nurses Union has been absent from this conversation and they should be at the forefront. They have done everything. They've leveraged everything. They have put themselves against other unions. Absolutely. You, you know, you know, they have put their, some, themselves out there and they're front line in this pandemic and they're left out of this conversation. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough thing to see the the level of vitriol kind of turned 
turned in, inside the, the movement when, I mean, I, again, I, I come back to this concept of learned helplessness and I come back to a, a, my gut instinct is that people are so, there are people who are so frustrated. I mean, take putting aside people that are acting in pure self-interest, which is totally obviously right. happening as well, yeah. but put them aside for a second. There's people that are just so frustrated at their helplessness, their inability to even get any kind of response to their uh, entreaties <laughs> that they'll, that ultimately it's it's uh, it's cathartic to have it out with someone that even if even if you end up hating each other and screaming and yelling at least you're getting a response of some kind i mean i might i might be oversimplifying it and it's a little pop psychology but that's my gut no i think you're right i think there's there's a there's there's a relief that happens when you can just shout at someone that seems to be more powerful than you or to actually be in power i mean even journalists do it to lawmakers like real well-known journalists do it to lawmakers. It's it's a very human thing to do. Um, but I think this is also a result of like the crisis of journalism. When you don't have local journalism, when you don't have uh, investigative reporting, it's easy for folks to just fall for whatever's being pushed on the internet like as like the real story behind blah, blah, blah. And there's no counter to that and there's no oversight and there's no... I mean, I saw a video tonight funded by uh, a foreign interest. And if I say that, people are like, why are you so, an it's, it, why are you an imperialist? It's like, what, what are you talking about? Because I'm <laughs> like, like, can oh, we sit here? Yeah. Like, how can we be anti-American imperialist and anti-everybody else imperialist? But that's not a space that exists right now. And, and you know, and there- uh, That's yeah. the most commonsensical uh, perspective really which is why we gotta we gotta make that space one way or another yes no 100 it's like if anybody listening to your show right now is like yeah but Nomi, you worked in libya or you did this yeah i did work in libya i didn't work for Gaddafi. i mean like with the way that they're painting me is as if i was there prior to Gaddafi's fall and i was part of it and i was part of nato no That's weren't you weren't you head of the the personal bodyguard from from 2004 to 2007 or was that oh no wait that's that was someone else sorry no, it was the bomb builder. I don't know if you know uh, that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but I mean, this is, it's, it's like, it's 100% ridiculous. I went there after the fall of Gaddafi, years after the fall of Gaddafi, like years. That's like, like, that's like going to Haiti years after Haiti's collapse, like multi, I mean, there's, it's like going after any sort of crisis, right? And I was working with women, teaching them about like, free press, which was a whole thing. And it, by the way, it's on video. It's not even like it's a secret. So, I mean, what's, 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 frustra what's frustrating about it is that I give a very critical analysis of the, the situation in Libya and the failures of the American government, especially after the collapse of Gaddafi. And that's been uh, missing from this, but the people who are pushing out the narrative of whatever, like on one day they're saying I work for NATO, and one day they're saying I work for C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one day they're saying I'm working for CIA, and and meanwhile the people are pushing this out. Like, I'm sorry, but but Sidney Blumenthal was out in Libya, like looking for oil to to pay. I mean, this is this is in these people like to quote WikiLeaks. Go to WikiLeaks. Sidney Blumenthal is in WikiLeaks with Neera Tannen talking about how Libyan oil can pay off. The deficit in the U.S. Like you, if you're gonna play these games, <laughs> then at least listen to this stuff. I mean, I'm well, not. Yeah. 
people I, I don't uh, want to play either of the games yeah. but it's it's just ridiculous it's like how can max blumenthal make these claims about people at the same time it's like glass houses your father's sydney blumenthal best friends of hillary clinton who was in libya looking for oil to pay off the deficit of the, of the u.s government which was documented in wikileaks which you like to purport by near tandon so what is it about my persona and and anybody else on the left whether it's any bernie surrogate or bernie anybody worked in bernie's campaign all of Neera Tannen's world went after us. And suddenly these folks are saying we are the ones who are the, like like Max Blumenthal of the Sydney Blumenthal family is the one saying that we are the ones who are, are neoliberal. Are you kidding me? We put our reputations on the line when we stepped up and said we were for Bernie Sanders before it was cool in 2016. So I'm sorry I'm, I'm, I'm putting my foot down, but like, I just want to remind folks what was at stake in 2016 if you stepped up and you said you were for Bernie Sanders. Oh, no, not at all. I, I, I encourage it. I mean, I think I think what's frustrating about it is, um, and it's it's another thing kind of on my mind lately is this, there's, there's this real uh, obscuring of context. Uh, it's, it's, I don't want to call it a decontextualization because that makes it sound mm. more neutral than it is. But what it really is, is this, this attitude almost of like facts are really just there to be ammunition for you to be to, to, for you to use against others, whether it be an argument or or whatever else. Um, and and like say for example, someone criticizes you for going and working in Libya, and they just use the word Libya completely outside of any real context, any any understanding of the nuances of history of Libya, right. past or present, the realities on the ground, whatever. It's just it's just the word they use to kind of mix in their their hodgepodge mixed bag of rhetoric that they're using for their own purposes, really because they feel powerless and don't really have a real a real skin in any real game other than this kind of babyish, um, blunt sort of, you know, pouting kind of uh, argumentation. But um, but it's, it's really frustrating because, you know, I, I like to exist in the world of, of facts and thought and, and reality and nuance. And when people, when you're trying to argue with people or when people are acting as though they, they have, they gotcha, when they're mm -hmm. throwing out like the literally the 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 most pedestrian arguments they could possibly make under the sun, it's uh, it's incredibly frustrating. No, it's a hundred percent. It's 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 not from a good faith place. It's at the end of the day, it's like big picture. I mean, I my background's in political organizing, right? Like, yeah, we have fights with people. There are people like we. There's a lot of folks that we in the political movement will support, but maybe behind the scenes don't get along with all the time. But we understand that the greater mission is about solidarity. And that's something, I mean, clearly the corporate class understands. That's something Hillary Clinton, under, I mean, how many different groups of people aligned behind Hillary Clinton in 2016 that didn't agree with each other? And even with, I mean, obviously with Joe Biden, like Joe Biden had, I mean, there were just different coalitions. But I think from from our perspective, we're just, this is the moment we have to like actually pressure Joe Biden and we can actually get something like a green, green new deal. And we're having fights over podcast hosts who don't have a stake in any of this. Mm -hmm. Are you saying a person who has a podcast is, is, is less of a authority to speak on this subject than like, say someone who was up until recently, the most successful, like fresh woman, freshman con congressman in history <laughs> and whatnot. 
Perhaps Listen. that's what you're saying. I'm not sure. I won't. Say. Maybe that's what you're saying. Let me, let me I'm not you. saying that anybody is has less of a voice. And obviously we have to pressure our lawmakers. But what I am saying is somebody who also has a podcast and who is also a YouTube host and who also has an organizing background. Um, when I like I'm really curious about a strategy, like, for instance, the general strike. We've been pushing that on our show quite a bit and, and like a labor movement. Right. I'll go to the people who've really been fighting on that. And I'll say, what's the realistic approach to this? And maybe I'll have them on the sh my show or not. But I won't, in a bombastic way, say and and frankly berate the most popular podcast, the most popular uh, congresswoman or elected official in the country. You know, I will say like, hey, I'm going to bring a nurse on. She's been organizing this space and she's been on the front lines. Let's bring her on. She can talk about like, what's the path to getting Medicare for all elected? Not this is the path for getting Medicare for all elected. And with that being said, like I've actually been in the movement. So I do know what their path is, but I still would not say this is the path because I'm a host and the host's job is to say, here, let's bring people on who know more than I do. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly, that's certainly what I'm trying to do here. I mean, God, I would be so screwed if I didn't do that. Um, so exactly. uh, let's talk about strategy then, because yeah. you know we can get caught up in, in this. And I think uh, you know I'm 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 really interested in for in, for example like how we build a, a less insular, a more integrated, uh, cohesive movement on the left. Like mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems to me ultimately it's a real shame that we lost the 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 predominant use of just email lists back in the early 2000s and 90s because mm -hmm. ultimately back in the day if you needed to know something. You could send an email to, you know, you'd get an email or you'd send an email to everyone and they would get it. Whereas now it's mm -hmm. like, oh, do I have your Discord? Are you on Facebook? Should I add you on TikTok? <laughs> you know, are we in, oh, is it this Slack channel or that's like, oh no, you should, can you please post that in the problem? It's like, we're all just, it, it's so bifurcated that like, what, what, what can we do to actually, like, what, what are some of the solutions you think to this problem? In terms of messaging specifically? Yeah. Well, I actually, I mean, I, I'm not like, I don't know, I'm not the expert on messaging streams, but I do think that, that our little leftist messaging ecosystem works. I think if folks, maybe all of us just need to come together and say like, all right, like we have to make a more concerted after effort to go on each other's shows and ask our audience members to, to support us because it really is extremely hard as I'm sure you know and, and I know like we really have to build our our Patreons we have to build our subscription bases and not just like unsubscribe when we hear the wrong thing like like it really is going to take a concerted effort to build a coalition um I don't I don't know if folks really understand the business model of it all but it's it's I mean if I can say it on your Kafka. show it's exploitative yes exactly yeah. Yes. Um, I've, I actually have a fantasy right now of kind of a podcasting like union, like you take take yeah. the principles used in in worker unions and worker based enterprises and yeah. apply those to, to a podcast where the listeners and the creators are, are part of the same thing. Yes. You know, that's that's what I would like to see happen. So maybe maybe if I after I launch my podcast number three and four, I'll do that. I'll start that movement. No, I mean, it, that, but that's really this that's how it end up ends up like coming together and and some of our hosts that we love watching have millions and millions it just takes like a couple right and but they all know it like it takes a while and and without going to the business model of this whole industry because it's complicated and confusing 
it's not easy. If, if just for the audience's sake, like even people who are super famous, it's not easy. And it's not sustainable always because you lose, you know, if you say one thing, like if you go against Jimmy Dore, you'll lose like, I'm very grateful our audience did not do this, but like I've heard of others who've lost a thousand, two thousand subscribers. That's, that's a, that's a whole entire a staff hit. member. It's a whole staff member, yeah. if not more. Um, it's very real. And so I think like we have to be really conscious as a, as a group to recognize like all of these people really need it. It's not about them. It's about their, you know, they can't get things edited. They can't think, get things posted. It's, it's, a, it's, it's real team effort. And also distinguishing the difference between like say um, an audience that's been pushed out on a platform, like, like The Hill, for instance, who I appreciate, but it's a corporate media outlet. And I don't know if people understand that. It's corporate. Mm. So knowing who the independent people are versus the corporate. I'm not saying like, I respect them. I'm friends with Crystal. It's I'm just trying to differentiate like the different types of shows that are out there. Mm. And so we really do have to support each other. And I mean, over the holiday season, I'm reaching out to newer podcasters and and YouTubers and I'm becoming patrons because I know that they need it more than folks who've been around for like say 10 years, which mm. also need it by the way, they have their own staff. So it's just, it's just kind of figuring that out, but it's, it's not easy. It's not corporate. I mean, I've worked in most spaces. It's, it's really hard actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's you know. uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a rat race. I mean, I've been doing another, I did another podcast for about a year and a half before this one, which is really more fun. I think, you know, for that kind of unpaid speculative work, it's right. it's good if you can frame it as a hobby, <laughs> just psychologically, it definitely <laughs> helps. Um, but, you know, I think definitely, definitely a new model um, could, could emerge where um, you see kind of what you're talking about, you know, people supporting each other, there being kind of an inner cross-pollination, uh, cross-promotion, you know, possibly like better mechanisms for like new voices to emerge mm -hmm. as well. Because like ultimately the, the way it's set up right now, it's like, I don't think all of us getting, you know, 12 cents for a MyPillow ad is really gonna, <laughs> gonna cut it in 10, right. 20 years, you know? It's a pretty thin gruel. Um, I wanted to ask you like, because <laughs> you're you have a very, a very strategic mind. Um, and I feel as though one one area we could definitely become less insular is, is um, kind of branching out into more progressive movements in, mm -hmm. in kind of the center of the country and whatnot. You know, I had Dave Griscom on the yes. first episode and he's obviously a great Texas socialist type guy. Um, very charming fellow. He reminds me of a young Karl Marx. I'm just, I'm not going to lie, but. Um, oh my God, I love uh, that. <laughs> like what do but you with see? Southern accent. He's got yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. Um, like, what do you see as like some, some avenues like say someone's living in the in in Tennessee or Kentucky or Wisconsin or you know they're they're not in LA they're not in New York and they want to get politically active and they're in a red they're in a red district yeah what do you think are the best kind of um, avenues for them to explore so as as I'm talking to you, I'm sitting in the great state of Arizona and I am literally like at twelve o'clock looking at a an eagle statue. <laughs> 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 I'm looking at like the eagle, like flexing its wings and being like, America, America. Like, that's, that's what I'm looking at with the, with the, the um, wood, like paned walls, whatever that is. I don't know. It's like 60s era stuff. Um, that's, that's where I am. This is the holiday season. So if you're wondering why I'm there, I'm here visiting my family for the holidays, but 
Um, but I, but, but my first, like, I, well, I grew up in New York. I like straight up grew up in New York. Like I'm a New Yorker. Like there's no doubt about it. I'm, I grew up in, in New York. I worked in uh, New York state politics. My parents were in, uh, involved in Western New York politics, which unfortunately was the, the testing ground for, um, Donald Trump. That's where Roger Stone went and tested out his Donald Trump campaign with Carl Palladino. It's a whole other story. Go check it out if you have a chance. Okay. Sounds interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. Um, but that's the politics I grew up around. But I, I went to University of Arizona and my first political jobs that were not like on my mom's campaigns or whatever were in Arizona Democratic Party. And it was like fascinating because it's 2020 now and in 2006 Arizona flipped the state blue but no one would know that because it wasn't like what was on the agenda um but that was back when there was this 50 state strategy for the democratic party and so they decided to put money in every single state party state democratic party as flawed as they were and that's an important part of this they were flawed but just putting like a couple staffers on the ground made a difference now we have a Democratic Party that is a national Democratic Party that is like out to lunch. And I think if anybody's been following my work, they know that like I talk about this all the time, that the wins that we have as, as Democrats, as progressives, they come with waves. They come with like massive failures by Republicans. And I think the Democrats this cycle thought that was going to happen. And it did at the presidential level. Mm. But it didn't at the local level. Mm. And it's uh, they've gotten very comfortable. And so I'm really glad that you asked this question because um, simultaneously, when you look at like where the wins were, the local level, there were these extraordinary wins in red states with things like the $15 minimum wage or in Arizona, the, the, the wealth tax to fund education. But that didn't happen because of the Democratic Party, the Republican Party. That happened because unions were non-existent in those states. They were right-to-work states. Not all of them, but these specific states were right-to-work states. But the members of those, those unions who would have had an opportunity to, to negotiate these things but didn't because of right-to-work laws, the members who are part of red uprisings, specifically in Arizona, organized on their own and with their own membership to get something like in Florida, the $15 minimum wage, which, which Republicans voted for. Or in Arizona, where they did have a blue wave, and, and thank God, I mean, even though the people who were elected were not like our heroes, but thank God we have like an extra senator. Mm. But Indeed. in Arizona, like they voted to fund education. But that came from teachers. That was teachers organizing in the last few years, not tomorrow, not yesterday, like five years ago. They've been doing it tirelessly. They had a strike. So I, I am a, a and, and this is what's really infuriating me. If I can just separate myself as like a public figure, like I, I'm, I'm pissed off right now. I'm angry that labor is being left out of this conversation of this crisis right now. I'm angry that Jimmy Dore tried to like take credit for the entire Medicare for all movement that has been led by labor, like by women of, I mean, he like puts Brianna Joy Gray out and he's like, oh, there's a woman of color. How, how dare you be sexist? Fuck you, Jimmy Dore. Fuck mm. you. Like, yeah. do you know the nurses union is a women led union. It's a majority of women of color and many are, 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 are immigrant women. 
Like, fuck you. They've put that thing on the table. They've put Medicare for all on the table. They had a conference on this. They made sure that Bernie Sanders made this his issue. Are you kidding me? And you're going to sabotage, uh, sabotage an entire movement? And they're being good soldiers in the union right now? Fuck you, dude. Like these are people who've been put their put their lives on the line in this pandemic while you sit in your two million dollar mansion. I mean, it's it's really in any context where you see the that kind of identity identitarian politics come out and, and be used and bandied about um, to further some other purpose other than the fact you know like again like yeah like you say the nurses unions predominantly women of color the minimum wage is a women's issue given that the majority of minimum wage workers are women um but it's easy for people to i mean i think that's another part of the that's another problem in this kind of debate land we live in as well there's these cards that people are just oh so willing to play and so primed to react to as well um and the whole you know i i had i had one person on there like how can you call me this like uh, that's that's the kind of tired excuse that was out of, you know, was well-worn decades ago, so. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, it's obviously not rooted in, in strategy and like, strategy is not sexy. I get it. Um, it's, it's just not, it's, it's not at all. But I also think that like, at the end of the day, folks are waking up, including myself, to be completely honest in a way that I like, I don't want to talk about publicly because I'm, you know, I'm a host and, and I, I know, I know, I personally know there's other hosts out there who are reluctant to share their personal stories because it's just, no matter what you say, they're going to use it against you. But all I'll say is like a lot of folks beyond poverty are worried about their, their, their livelihoods and like how they're going to live in their apartments and how they're going to live on their Medicaid. I mean, I have Medicaid until seven days from now. <laughs> and oh my God, that's terrible. No, but I'm, I'm also very grateful that I live in a state that has Medicaid. Mm. If I didn't live in New York, I wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have been able to get through this year, frankly. Um, but, but like we, we know the stories of Amy Valella, whose daughter was denied coverage, did not have health care and died as a result in her early 20s because she was denied access to healthcare coverage and died. And so like, are, are you gonna fight this woman who's been campaigning for the last five years for Medicare for all and only on Medicare for all? And she's the one saying like, this is what it comes down to. This is, it comes down to the strategy of getting it to win. If if you don't have a strategy, you're actually putting everybody else at, at, at a, a, not only a disadvantage, but but like a strategic loss. So I just think it's very nihilistic. And I, I, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm really worried about this debate because it's suddenly becoming about a million other things that are not relevant to the moment and relevant to the crisis. And it's becoming very personal and it's taking out one leftist toast by one leftist toast and they're losing thousands of followers. And at the end of the day, like, I'm sure you and I both know we have a million disagreements with people who we go on with and, and like we debate them on air and off air. But I think one thing we all agree on is 
the crisis of this moment of 20, 30 million people not having a home in, in a week is, is, is way worse than any strategic vote, which is not happening, by the way. I think everybody agrees on that. Sym symbolic vote, I would almost call it as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, strategy should be sexy, though. I mean, ultimately, I think, especially when people have gotten so used to powerlessness, ultimately... Right. Any form of strategy should almost seem like a Shangri-La, I think, at this point. That's right. Um, do you think, do you think uh, it, it would be a sound strategy to explore uh, like everyone doing a better job of, of frontlining and, and making the, the nurses and other frontline workers the, the vanguard of this Medicare for All movement? hundred percent. I think every leftist host who is, who is doing this work right now should be inviting as many people who are personally feeling the results of this pandemic, whether it's folks who don't have access to healthcare, who are on Medicaid and might lose it in six days, um, who might lose their homes, whatever it is, or nurses or domestic workers or flight attendants or postal workers or um, building trades workers. I mean, I am a very big believer that the people who have all the leverage in this moment and who are personally dealing with the, the worst stakes of this are those who are frontline workers who end up being part of unions. And a lot of these unions are majority female um, made up. They're majority made up of female union members or they're majority like led by women or both. And, you know, nurses, teachers, flight attendants, domestic workers, all women-led unions and women made up of majority. Outside of that, postal workers, uh, building trades workers, they're, they're also on the front lines. Not majority women-led, but still very important unions that have been on the front lines. And if they were the face, and they have not been the face, and I don't know, some of their union leaders are absolutely putting their necks out. Some of them are not, but I think we're at the point where like AFL-CIO, their leader needs to step out because if they're not stepping out, then you've got like Jimmy Dore stepping out who knows nothing about any of this. And if he's dictating the terms of worker survival, we've got a real big problem here. That's, uh, that's for sure. Um... I'll, I'll, I'll have at least one more question for you. I don't know how much, how much longer you have. I'm sure we could talk for a long time. It's Christmas time, so Eve just, until Santa yeah. comes to my Okay, perfect, door. perfect. Until um, Black Santa. Oh, yeah, that I reminds me. I don't live in Fox Newsland. Yeah. Um, that, the special reminder to our listeners, if, if you see someone in a red suit in your house tonight, please don't shoot them. It could Thank just you. be Santa. Just identify yourself. <laughs> ask them to raise their hands. Let's not let's not ruin Christmas for everyone else here, folks. If you see something, just don't call the cops. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, another issue I'd, I'd be curious for your thoughts on, um, and in terms of strategy, and, and in terms of kind of tackling issues that I think mm -hmm. uh, are affecting a lot of other things, we have this kind of pretty incestuous, uh, nefarious kind of self-dealing consultant class in the Democratic Party in the terms mm. of the people running a lot of these. Mm -hmm. Um, national elections. And I think, you know, I remember I had a, a friend who said that he signed up for both the Trump and the Biden oh, campaign man. emails. And, you know, he got, he'd, get, he'd get 30 a day just as an experiment. He'd get 30 a day from Trump and then like maybe one every two days from Biden. And I think, you know, when you, regardless of what, of where you are on the spectrum politically or what, what your policy priorities are, I think it's fair to say that um, 
these a lot of these people really have failed really horribly at running these elections and really need to be not in charge of future elections if possible mm -hmm. but but how do we dislodge them from the process or circumvent them or somehow i mean is it is it going to would it be easier to reform that somehow within the democratic party than it would be to enact a you know a, a big policy uh platform in in the actual legislature you think or is it harder? Oh, damn, this is a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. I think, I think in some cases we've been able to have extraordinary wins because the 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 rules of the elections, the electoral rules, depending on what state you're in, are are defined either in a much fairer way or not fair way or whatever, like. I think that depends on what state you come from and how you challenge your your lawmakers, whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Um, reform in the Democratic Party <laughs> is much more nuanced. Um, I actually don't think it's much more difficult. I just think that people don't have interest in it. And it's it requires, including reporters, it requires an extraordinary level of like, like, how deep Wonkiness. do we want to go? Yeah, no, it's, yeah. it's extremely wonky. And yeah. how deep do we want to go? And, and like, do we want to put ourselves out on the line? Because it's, it's also extremely dangerous. It's not, it's not just that it's wonky, it's dangerous. Like you're dealing with like people who work for oil companies and weapons manufacturers. And it's, I've noticed having gone through that route. I'm sure um, they're a friendly bunch. <laughs> yeah, it's, mm. yeah, it, like I really didn't expect to see what was happening um, when I took on the DNC. I, I just, I just, it was not a space that I thought I was like ever going to go through. And, and, and I didn't think that like they were going to like pitch Politico articles with like smear efforts, the way that gray zone does it. I mean, it's very similar actually. So what's the safest bet? I think running for offices, frankly, um, as long as you know where you're running and why you're running and how you're running and, what the odds are and what allies you have and do you have a coalition? I mean, there's no uniform way, nowhere. Cause they all see us coming now. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really good point because I mean, ultimately if we want to imagine near a future where we're passing legislation like Medicare for all, I mean, the path forward it can't be anything other than to my mind, just further expanding this new, I mean, I know there's a already a progressive caucus, but it's obviously the term is used a little bit differently in that context, but this, mm -hmm. you know, we need to see the squad grow. And I think, I think recruiting and finding new and exciting and young and fresh uh, candidates with good ideas and, and, you know, uh, marketable personalities, just to, just to be honest about it um, is something that, that can, be tremendously effective. I mean, I think that if, that if that's not one of the biggest lessons of the last couple of election right. cycles, I don't know what is. Right. And like, okay, so I'm part of this organization called Matriarch and Matriarch is dedicated to electing working class progressive women to Congress and beyond. And, and one of our founders was Cori Bush and she got elected and we later endorsed her. She left the board and we later endorsed her. And and that was after an extraordinary amount of tireless work. She had run multiple times. She was unafraid of anybody. She she had COVID twice. I mean, I, Cori Bush, I don't even know if Cori Bush's story has been adequately expressed publicly, but like she has a movie that's waiting for her to happen. Um, mm, she was a nurse. 
No, I mean, she's she's like a real woman. Like she's she had a nurse. She's she's a single mother. She was a nurse. She had COVID twice. She had her car repossessed last time she ran on election day, the day she lost. Wow. Um, Corey's, that is that is like a screenplay. That's like, I mean, if, if she was a man, it would be a Will Smith movie right now. Exactly. And that's just a, a small chunk of it. Hmm. So from our perspective at Matriarch, um, it's about that. It's about people who are really understanding in a deep way what it means to suffer the consequences of this this economy and the neoliberal state and monopolies and also to recognize that like even progressive institutions don't always have your back and so what does it mean to 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 run and like have support and so i'm 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 personally just rooted in like supporting more working class women running for office i don't know how that translates into everything else but i do think that like we as progressives have to understand in a deeper way what it means to to win and it doesn't mean two or three people it means we have to actually like change the face of our institutions and challenge them and challenge the other institutions who are just taking like rich people money frankly to do whatever they want you to do mm-hmm. Yeah, well, certainly, and the mask has come off a lot of the worst elements on on the far right as well. So they should make pretty easy targets to uh, to pillory. I mean, I would hope so. I mean, they're you know they're as well as like I think I think there's potential to um, siphon off some votes from kind of I mean I don't, I don't think necessarily the Christian right is the right term, but kind of more more people people in the America that might be Christian that might be involved in politics, but like kind of a little more in the in the center. Because I mean, you know, they, their their political hero was this guy who who's basically on tape saying that the greatest pleasure in life is to trick another man's wife into sleeping with you. Like it's like not very Christian, dude. I'm sorry, but it's pretty it's pretty cut and dry to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's I think another thing we have to work against as well is um, people are pretty pretty well activated i think i think that's another thing that I, I take some hope in is is how activated people are i mean and obviously part of that is is due to circumstances that just um require that of people but part of it is also just you know you look at the at the sanders campaign and i think i think it was really heartbreaking to see him not get get the nomination for people although that heartbreak was quickly washed away with this um this pandemic and everything um but i i feel as though there's there's potential for a lot of the groundwork to begin to really be laid or if, if it hasn't already been laid now um, for some some real change and it might be five years it might be eight years I don't, I don't know what it is but I think I think something's got to give well I can say for one thing and maybe this is controversial but in 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 many ways we've had like really amazing wins in the legislatures right um I live in New York and I'm very grateful that we've had m- multiple uh, legislative wins, huge legislative wins, and we might have some major le- uh, wins in, in the city government. That's not enough, though. Like, I hate to be the, 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 like, the, 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 the person who does the mapping, but, like, it's not like three wins here and there. You know, we can't win the progressive caucus and without bringing in, like, 20 30 wins and i'm not saying we can't, i'm not saying it's not possible i'm just saying like 
I sometimes think that we get super excited about small wins and it distracts from, from real strategic stuff. And we needed that. We absolutely needed that. And maybe Bernie not being our presidential nominee is a way for us to refocus on building institutional power, on mm. not getting sucked into like, you know, a couple of organizations who, who take credit for the wins. And they should, by the way, they should absolutely take credit for wins. But we suddenly are like, we have to go to them for the wins. And that's not the case. Some of these wins were frankly accidents. Like people didn't show up. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, the, the re, I mean, let's just, let's just be real. There's a reality awesome. that I like a lot of neoliberals were just like not taking progressives seriously. And then some neoliberals did, but we, we now, they all know we're coming now. So how do we build that institutional pressure so that we don't have two or three wins a cycle, but we have like 15 wins a cycle. Cause there's no way in this crisis where, where climate is like literally eating at us, where the pandemic is, I mean, this is ridiculous. The crises that we have in front of us right now are beyond a three person win every two years. We have to win like 40 people every two years. That's gonna require, with all due respect to my allies in the unions who don't wanna use this word, it's gonna require warfare. I'm not in a union. I'm on a board of an organization, but on my own personal behalf, I'll say, you're not going to win unless you have warfare. Look what they did AOC and her committee. She knew what she was facing and they still went after her. Simultaneously, uh, uh, Jimmy Dore wants to launch an attack on her from the left. Who are you, dude? Yeah. It's uh, it's been a trying time to see it. Like I'm just I'm surprised how many people are really still caught up in it too. I feel as though there's, okay. it, I mean, it really it really comes down to I feel like just a, a dejection of just this this desire for people to be like, look, like you have to say these words that I want you to say, and if not, fuck you, because I'm just so fed up at this point. And I think it's just, I think it's tragic. I think it's more sad than anything else. But I ultimately, I mean, it will it will hopefully peter out in one form or another. I mean, I don't think there's going to be some kind of great schism <laughs> caused by this spat. These things tend to kind of only have their own momentum, but like it's, uh, it also just always makes me think of, you know, if you have a cat and a dog living in the same house and, mm-hmm. and the, the dog sees the cat jump up on the, on the shelf and, you know, come, comes to let you know and bark and tell on them. Cause they're like, I know they're not allowed to be up there. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. but you're still both the pets, you know, <laughs> the humans are still running the show in this household like arguing arguing with the people that have the, the, the are likely would be the most likely the most likely the best allies for you to have in, in a future political coalition um is not exactly the best use of your energy i mean that that's what's only hoped right like that's really it at the end of the day at the end of the day we just have to see like how do we get this passed how do we for those of, us, those of us on Medicaid, those of us who don't have Medicaid, those of us who, who have had COVID and now have to deal with the, the costs of COVID and the costs of dealing with COVID, who's going to help us get there? Is it, is it somebody? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's been great advertising for him, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's going to take it's going to take unions. I mean, unions have the leverage power against lawmakers, in my opinion, but we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely, I mean, I think what, what the percentage of, of the workforce that's unionized right now is, is uh, what, like a 30 or 40 year low. Um, but I think probably at the time, there's that, there's probably more of an appetite right now for for yes. unionization drives than, than we've seen in a long time. And especially when you see just how, I mean, I think everyone now can just better appreciate how essential a lot of people's work really fucking is. I mean, right. even if they're still not appreciating it nearly as much as they should, um, there has, you know, they're, they're making fucking superhero cartoons about nurses and stuff. Like the zeitgeist is changing, I think. At least I hope it is. I, I think it is. I mean, I think more nurses are going to be willing to speak up. I think at the beginning they were very, they were, they were nervous. Folks were nervous about speaking up about their personal experiences, but that's what it's going to take. It's going to take folks who've been on the front lines, who've had COVID, who've been domestic workers, who are on the front lines in, in every form, whether they're, they're teachers. I mean, I, I, I have like dear friends of mine who are not just teachers, but I can think of one person in particular who's a teacher, his wife's a teacher. Um, they're in a right to work state. They have three children. Their most recent child is six months old and is in intensive care to this day after months and months and months on Christmas Eve in intensive care. And they, they, they want to deal with him in intensive care. He was born with a heart condition. And they, they're, they're, they're dealing with him as this entire health crisis goes. They don't want to take him into the home. They don't want to put him at risk. And all they're saying is, why are we fighting over this? I mean, he's literally checking with me regularly. And I'm like, why are you texting me about this? And he's like, I'm texting about it because, you know, we're in a right to work state. Our union rights are not fully like they're protected, right? I've, I have children. I'm afraid of getting COVID because I'm forced to go into school. And then I have a child who's at risk. It's, it's, it's so much more than like just a political fight on Twitter. And that's, and it's very hard to express that to be honest, because you don't want to take personal stories into the space, but also like, it's very hard to express it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can only hope that once we kind of get out of the immediate crisis, if if we do get out of the immediate crisis, that people will will have a little bit more energy to to take a step back and kind of take stock of things and and realize the things are a little that are the things that are a little more important than you know scoring points or, or getting retweets or likes. Although maybe it's just Twitter. Maybe just Twitter is ruining our civilization. Um, maybe like they're the Visigoths and we're Rome. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I also talked to folks who were like, I don't go on Twitter. So I know it has some impact in terms of like dictating the debate. And we have to keep in mind, and I've said this and people are going after me for it, but like, screw you. If you don't understand the facts of this, then, you know, what are you up to? I'm a, I'm a YouTube host. I know that 86% of my audience is male and under the age of 44, my personal audience. I know a certain number are very close to that, but worse of YouTube, um, of of TYT was was around that number. I know Jimmy Dore is worse in terms of that number. I know the algorithms of YouTube skew political YouTube, I should say, political, 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 skew male and under the age of 44. So this entire debate has been dictated by an audience under the age of 44 that's male and hosts that are male. And they do better 
than women. There aren't that many women YouTube, political YouTube, but like, it's just, I, I tweeted about this and they were like, you're using identity. And I'm like, no, I'm using capitalism. That's like in the fifties when advertisers were like, oh, all of our money is going to men. Did you know that women spend money? And mm. like, suddenly- yeah, how, like, how yeah. do we reach this untapped market? <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And I'm like, I mean, I open up my YouTube and I see makeup ads. I've never watched a makeup ad in my life before, dude. Like I'm a woman who has a YouTube political show that's verified and has um, is monetized. I go on YouTube constantly to watch my allies in their shows constantly. And yet when I open up YouTube, my suggested shows are makeup shows. Mm, mm. Me. Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> so insulting. But it's also just shows you that there's no interest in there's, I think there's something much bigger here and that they're, they're unwilling. I mean, we, I, we know for a fact there was a woman who was actually fired recently because of this, but, but aside from that, which is a very real story, very, very real story about how she called out the sexism and the racism and the algorithm. Aside from that, like Jimmy Dore is dictating the terms of the leftist debate right now. And his audience is propped up by, by young boys. And he, um, but, but, but like that's sexist to call that out. That's identitarian to call that out. Well, I mean, it's the identity politics has really, really fucked up the gears of like so many debates. Um, mm -hmm. This whole concept that you can just start a statement with the phrase as a blank, right? Blah, 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 blah. And that gives you enough cachet. I mean, it's uh, like it's, it's, it misses the point so incredibly of, of all, of all kinds of struggles for, uh, civil rights and and gender equality and and uh, you know LGBTQ rights and, and all that like to and 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 it's when 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 you just say okay well whatever your kind of card that you hold now I'm going to put you at the front of the line that doesn't mean that person is necessarily going to speak the best or the most eloquently or the most uh, usefully on that topic you know it's mm -hmm. it's, it's this bizarre perversion of uh, kind of a progressive social agenda that. I, I don't know how we're going to shake it off. I mean, I'm, hope, I'm hoping we can shake it off and we can say, okay, well, we, you know, we, we got to stop, stop just playing these cards with each other. Because again, it's just, it's, it's become the same thing like Libya, you know, it's like, I'll use the word Libya, I'll use right. the word woman, I'll use the, the word, you know, person of color. And it's my hodgepodge of kind of signifiers that I know will get, get what I want, but it's not, there's no cohesive argument behind it at all. That's exactly what it is. And I don't know what, the alternative is, I don't know how we, I, I, I honestly don't know how we bring in leftists to have a more nuanced take. I'm sure you and I both know who some of these people are and it's very difficult for them to, to go out publicly. I mean, and also to go personal. Like I know many people have personal stories as I do myself about just the geopolitical situation that we're dealing with today. And but people are reluctant to sharing their personal stories because it puts them out there front and center. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? I don't know. I think, I think we can, we gotta, we're, we're all kind of collectively or there's people out there that are individually trying to kind of thread the needle, but it's, it's a tricky needle to thread. Um, but it can be done. You know, I think, I think a commentator such as yourself is someone that does a fairly good job. You know, I think the people in the majority report are another great example. Um, 
you know, Michael Brooks was was a was a shining light in that regard as well. But Anna Kasparian, I think, I think there is an understanding that this kind of this this dumbing down of culture and this de-evolution of our of our discourse yeah. is is something that people are are that do they do they do bristle at it because they do understand. Oh no, there was there was nuance before. You told me that there was never any nuance here, but I remember exactly. there being nuance before. So where can I go to find that nuance? And I think. Um, you know, obviously we're working against algorithms and, and we probably need to build our own alternative structures uh, and, and organizations, but uh, the, the value proposition is there ultimately. So I'm, 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 I keep on trying. I mean, you know, it's Christmas Eve. I want to, tear, I want to steer the conversation back towards hope, you know, before I hunt down my, <laughs> my local. Santa? Yeah, towards <laughs> Santa. Because, you know, it can be just a trying time emotionally. You know, I, I have fantasies of, of hunting down the UPS worker in my neighborhood and uh, you know, feeding him into my septic tank through a, a <laughs> randomly assembled sluice. But uh, <laughs> listen, uh, but, you know, it's a wonderful life. You know, sometimes you can't have an impact on people's lives. Okay, listen, very, very basic shit here. The age of Aquarius started two days ago. We've entered the age of Aquarius, and it's all that matters. Really? I don't, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't tell you what it matters. I, I wasn't informed. <laughs> Oh, you didn't know? Oh, oh, no, no. Okay. I don't know anything about this. All I know is that there was a conjunction of Oh, planets. right. The star, like the star of Bethlehem. Yeah, we couldn't, I couldn't see it where I was because of cloud cover. Yeah, it was a couple of days ago. Yeah, I don't know anything beyond that. All I know is the start of the age of Aquarius. So we just all started playing it's the age of Aquarius. Of course. So that's, we're, we're good now. We're good. It's all good. Okay. Well, Biden, um, Biden is Aquarius. He's he, no, he's not. I don't know. Biden's gonna save us all. <laughs> I'm I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm really really curious to see how things start to shake out in the next like few months here because um, I feel like I feel like a lot of us are just holding our breath to really see like when the rubber actually hits the the road, uh, what what actually happens, you know? Because there's still a lot of unknowns. Well, I can tell you one thing. I'm pretty sure that gray zone will solve it all. <laughs> Yeah. Hmm. Exactly. No, I mean this is going to take a real concerted effort. This isn't. Listen, I'm 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 joking about this, and and I'm I'm joking about the obviously about the age of Aquarius, but the reality is is I don't think history has shifted. It's always come down to union power, and while trade unions are extremely weakened in this country, and of the trade unions that are vibrant um there's still a small portion of of the majority of the unions that are vibrant in this country which is our, are also under attack but with that being said there's something extremely potent about it like having the ability at a certain moment prior to the pandemic to shut down the flights across this country is huge mm. Yeah, and that and was the, the head, Harvey was talking about the head of the the flight attendants union. That, Sarah that, Sarah Nelson, yeah. total hero. Yeah. No, she's she's a radical and she understands power. And for those who are like, oh well, we should just do this and we should just do that and we should just force AOC, like Jean McAlevey, who wrote No Shortcuts, who's on our our oh, I haven't pitched this, but we have this thing called the book club. And it's, it launches in January. And our second book, first one's actually by Harvey. It's about Thomas Paine. And then the second one's about uh, labor organizing and power. And 
Jane McAlevey has been fighting off union busting for decades. I look at what's going on right now and I'm like, yeah, it's not union busting, but it's busting. It's left busting. And there's a power in this moment, in this moment in particular, like there's so many people who have been on the front lines who, you know, I'm, 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 I'm really frustrated by the, the, the union leadership that's not stepping out. And aside from that, like not vocalizing while randos are vocalizing. And so there's, there's a power in like the collectiveness of those who've been on the front lines. They have leverage. They've, they have, they have like real leverage. And I know their union leaders are, are discussing this, but like, I, I really hope that they can step up publicly. And maybe that's where like our voices can make a difference is to call them out because if it takes a few of us to just call out union leaders and say like, step out, that might make a difference. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think that's, that's a very practical approach that that is open to a lot of a lot of people right now um and and i think i think people would be a lot really surprised how little effort might actually be required to get some uh some movement on some things when you actually try and push some of these levers that's exactly it yeah uh, Nomiki, it's been so wonderful talking to you. I know, uh, you know, Santa's probably coming down the chimney with uh, a lump of coal, hopefully maybe a stimulus check <laughs> if you're lucky. So, um, but before, before I let you go, just um, tell people where they can uh, follow your work. Yeah. Um, so I have a YouTube show and a Patreon show. It's, it's called the Nomiki Show, TNS. It's on uh, youtube.com slash the Nomiki Show and also patreon.com slash the Nomiki Show. But aside from that, we we have this really cool book club that's launching on January 1st, where you can watch you can read one book, two books, or th- or four books a month. We provide you the books, and then we have a really amazing conversation uh, around those books with experts and leaders who read those books or people who have written those books, like authors. Um and it's really diverse. The book, the book, uh, I can tell you the first four. So it's the Thomas Paine book by Harvey K. He's infamous about the Common this Sense. Is, yeah. Yeah. He's this book in particular. I mean, it's revolutionary, but it's from the American perspective. And then we immediately shift to who killed Bertha Cresades, um, who of course was killed in, in, uh, Honduras in 2016 by, who knows, but if you read the book, it's like corporate interests in Honduras and beyond. Um, and then we do a book on politics called The Punket of Tammany Hall, which is very, very basic, like political stuff. Mm, so I've we, heard about that one. Yeah, that's that would be a really interesting one. It's a very, it's it's so short too. So like we try to diversify. We're like a big book, a small book, a big book, small book. So if anybody has a four for a month. It's, a, it's, I'm really impressed to see like how many people have signed up. It's a, it's a good, it's a good book. It's a good series. Aside from that, um, I'm also part of Matriarch. And, and I say this because next year we're launching this training program where we're going to be recruiting uh, labor leaders, women who've been organizers across this country who are going to take on right-wing uh, Congress members. And we haven't said this publicly, but that's our goal is to link up with, with, with labor to challenge the right wing because we think that's the path exactly what you said so if you don't know already check out matriarch 
matriarch uh, pack, but specifically the C4 side, because that's where the training is happening. So matriarchpack.com, aka the C4. (laughs) Uh, Just check it out. It's it's the most honest thing I do in my life. I'm really grateful to be part of that coalition because um, it's Cori Bush. That's how she was locked in. I mean, mm-hmm. from our perspective, like we are her, we're her cadre, we're her sisters and we believe in, I think everything she does. And we're just so honored that she, yeah, everything she's done has been excep- exceptional. And we can't wait to see her push it out. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to following your work there closely. That sounds really interesting. Um, I mean, it's, it's obviously a little bit funny for the guy with a, a Twitter following of, I think, 15 to <laughs> just to be like, oh, where can people follow you? Meanwhile, you have what, like 100,000 followers? Oh, but, but I whatever. Think false, false I've lost like 20,000 in the last a week. Literally 20,000. Really? That's crazy. Ben Dixon's gone worse. Whatever. Screw them. Brutal. I love his work. That's terrible. What are, what are people on that they think like this is the way? Honestly, if you can't figure it out right now, like I'm, I'm not in the Twitter game of like more followers or not. It's, this is about making change. So whatever. Indeed. Um, a reminder to uh, my listeners that if you disagree with me, I will still be your friend as long as you're not <laughs> a total, total jerk about it. Okay. Um, no, Mickey, it's been such a, such a thrill getting to talk to you. I, I, I'm sure we could talk a great length about a number of other topics. So I'll have to try totally. and goad you into a further conversation at some point. But um, enjoy the rest of the holiday season. I uh, wish you and your family all the best. And um, Same to you. Yeah, you're just a total hero. You're a shining star. So just keep up the great work. You too. Be safe. Be well. I mean, I mean, when I say be safe and be well, I really mean it. Like, this is an insane year and you're doing extraordinary work. And like, you need this, but check out his work, subscribe, become a patron, do everything you need. I don't think, I, I actually don't think people understand like what that means. Become a patron if you can. If you're able to afford it, please do so. It makes a huge Are you talking about this difference. show? Yeah, do whatever. I don't, even, I don't even have a patron set up yet. You don't have a patron. That, but I'll, I'll set it up. Subscriber, <laughs> no, but I mean, whatever yeah. your system is. No, it's is. true. Like, yeah. Subscriber, like it's a, it's a big deal. It's a really, really, really big deal. And people can be very impulsive and, I mean, please support his work. It's important. Thank you so much. You're such a, uh, you're a treasure, honestly. So just, I'll, I'll follow up. I'll let you know when this is out. Um, and, uh, and I look forward to more discussions in the future. Okay. Can't wait.